is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 511 for Tuesday, January the 19th, 2021. <sighs> Are you sure? I'm pretty sure it's uh, it's December 52nd of 2020. <laughs> I'm not sure about the 2021 thing. It does kind of feel like it in a way. <laughs> but you know what? We made it, Jason. We made it through 2020 and we are into 2021. I'm not saying it's much better, but... You know, it's a new year. It sure is. So happy new year, everyone. Thank I, you. I hope that this year is treating you well so far, despite all of the copious amounts of bullshit that continues to go on in the world right now, because mm -hmm. it does. Um, and we, we did get a couple of greetings from, you know, people for New Year's, including one from uh, Margaret on the internet who didn't say where she is, which is nice. Thank you, Margaret, for that. And then longtime listener Matt in Lindenwald, New Jersey, wrote in and he said, I just wanted to check in and give my well wishes. Of course, I hope this upcoming year is kind to you guys. And thanks for always putting out great content for us. As you started describing a Christmas horror story, which is the movie we talked about on Christmas Day, if you recall. I do. Matt says, I remembered that I actually watched it a couple of years ago. I remember it as mostly fun and mediocre, which is fine. My favorite ridiculous Christmas horror type movie is Santa's Slay, spelled S-L-A-Y. It stars Goldberg, the wrestler from the late 90s. So what do you think, Jason? Maybe Santa's Slay starring a wrestler for next Christmas? Put it on the docket. Let's do it. I think so. I think that's a great idea. I'd never heard of it. I was not a big wrestling fan when I was younger. Uh, so I don't know much about Goldberg, really anything. But I look forward to watching this movie. Uh, I wasn't real. I was sort of a fan in the eighties, but I don't think anybody really had a choice in the eighties because there was Hulk Hogan and, uh, right. Andre the giant. And, you know, it was, it was kind of hard to ignore that kind of thing. They were big personalities. You couldn't get away from it. Right. Yeah. They were very, very popular, but, uh, yeah, in the nineties, I, I stopped paying attention to it. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll pencil that in or, or we'll, you know, we'll write that in in pen for next Christmas right now. Santa's sleigh. I look forward to it. Mm -hmm. uh, also, listener Trisha in Massachusetts emailed and she wanted to remind me about something I said um, maybe on our Christmas podcast, the last one we did, maybe the one before that. I can't remember. And apparently I said something like, you know, what if we look back in 2021 or sometime in the future at 2020 and decide that it wasn't all that bad. <laughs> yeah. And then she included an image of that guy in the like fur Viking costume or whatever, standing at the speaker's desk in the U S Capitol. And that was only on January 6th. So That's way to go. Right. 2021. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's, let's try and take it in perspective, which means we have to get to 2022 before we can really, judge things yeah yeah maybe even 2045 <laughs> before we can look back and go holy shit what the hell planet well yeah, yeah and have some proper perspective on it because things as i said despite the copious amounts of bullshit that continue to go on in the world right now you know hopefully everything's fine for you but all that bullshit continues i never thought i would ever say this chris uh -huh. i never thought that it would ever cross my mind 
I'm getting tired of being at home all the time. Well, and that's amazing for you. You're it a, really is. It's taken almost a year. You're a homebody, man. I mean, you don't yeah. want to leave if you don't have to. And here you are wanting to leave. Well, I realized uh, this afternoon that I hadn't sat in my car for about two weeks. So it's been two weeks since I've gone anywhere where I, was, I haven't been walking. We've gone for walks and stuff, but I haven't gone anywhere. Oh my gosh. Well. Not to the store, not to Tim Hortons, uh, you know, nothing. How, how have you at, lived this so rate, long? The next time I, I don't know. And then, because grocery, I get the groceries delivered, right? So uh-huh. I don't have to go anywhere and I don't drink, so I don't have to go to the liquor store or the beer <laughs> store really. And, and even that can be delivered now anyways. Can it? I tried. I couldn't figure out a way for it to be delivered, but oh, it no. might be location-based. Oh, could be. It can be delivered to my house, which is exciting. Exciting they, for they, me. They, they have curbside pickup in my, near, in my area, but they don't have delivery. Right, 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 right. Now, Jason, speaking of Vikings, uh-huh. um, I have spent most of 2021 playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla. And nice. by most of 2021, I have put in... Uh, over 80 hours in the game now since swelled to be fair just before the new year but that feels like a lot probably too many and it's something i want to talk about at some point so okay maybe if we have time on an upcoming episode we'll do a little bit on assassin's creed because this game has got me in its clutches for sure i'm at about two hours into that game (laughs) at the moment i haven't played since the holiday break 80 80 hours. Yeah. And I've looked up online, people are finishing it in the like 150 to 200 hours range. That is a lot of time in a video game. It, it really is. But, but it's not wasted time, except that it is wasted time, but I'm proud of you. Keep it up. Okay. Thanks, man. I, I will. I want to talk about that at some point, but probably when you not get today. To, when, when you get to 300 hours, that's when you start thinking, hmm, really, what have I accomplished? Sure. Okay. Right? <laughs> we'll, like, we'll see. I think Black Flag, I, it was for me, uh, Assassin's Creed Black Flag, I think I was probably three to 400 hours I was into that game. Sweet I did Jesus. everything. I did everything that was possible in that game. Yeah, well, I'm on that path right now. But anyways, we'll, we'll chat about that at some point because I'm having a lot of fun with it. But we have other things to do on this very podcast. It's a bit of a mixed bag, I'd say, on today's show because we are going to talk about the first two episodes of the new 2020 miniseries, based on Stephen King's The Stand. Sure. I'm looking forward to that. We have some quick listener feedback, but first, we also have some Walking Dead news. The Walking Dead News. So we're not completely devoid of Walking Dead content on this episode of the podcast, Jason. And there's not a ton of news, but there's a little bit of stuff to get caught up on here. The first item is that... Earlier this week, AMC tweeted out some details on when the various shows will return. Okay. Now, you may not think this is big, exciting news because we kind of already have a fairly good idea of this, but let me run things down here. It was a video that they put on Twitter, and the caption on the video came up. It said, New Year, New You, New... Sorry, I screwed it up. New Year, New You, T-W-D-U. So... It's new you as in letter U and then the Walking Dead universe. And I'm not sure, but it feels like maybe the first time they've kind of acknowledged it and called it the Walking Dead universe. Okay. Which I thought was exciting. So they're really going for it. They're really going for a full universe of of Walking Dead content here. Well, good for them. 
Good, for, good for us, maybe. Well, good for both, I would say. Good for <laughs> everyone who who wants this kind of thing. So uh, I'm still nervous, but uh, nervous, excited. Yeah, sort there of. you go. That's fine. That's fine. Now, as I said, I'm not really going to pretend this is anything really groundbreaking from the news perspective or surprising, but they did announce all this stuff. They said The Walking Dead Season 10C, which they're calling it, and I was calling 10.5, will return on February 28th. We already know that, and we look forward to it. Mm-hmm. They announced that their Talking Dead show returns the same day, so they will have an after show for the uh, first new episode. And then they said Fear the Walking Dead will come back in spring 2021, which is this year, which is yep. uh, not too long after February. And I did some math, and if I figure that Walking Dead starts February 28th, we have six episodes, that means it will end on April the 4th which is well within actual springtime, considering it starts, you know, two thirds of the way through March. I think maybe we could have fear returning on either April 4th or possibly a week later on April the 11th. Uh, April 4th is actually Easter weekend. So that's Easter Sunday. I think Canada, right? Or wait. They're not different. Okay, go ahead. No, Easter is <laughs> Easter's everywhere. <laughs> All right. No, I got it. I'm with you. So, I'm thinking Thanksgiving still. I'm like, what? Uh, is it still October already? Yeah, no, no. That's, we're talking <laughs> Easter. So, so I mean, they obviously, well, I mean, unless I'm mistaken that Walking Dead's going to end on Easter Sunday, um, I, I'm, I can't decide if I think they're going to load up extra content on that day or or wait a week. But I wouldn't be too surprised if... Fear comes back either that weekend or the next weekend. So they have continuous Walking Dead content on our TV screens. I don't think that they're going to end. I don't think they're going to do anything special on Easter Sunday. It's too unstable, right? You don't know what people are going to be doing. People could be home and staring at uh, the walls, or I guess they could not be home, but that's crazy. So I just, I think there's too many unknowns for it to, to, to you know, be big on a holiday weekend. I mean, you may be right, but that's, if that is the day they have the last episode of Walking Dead, that's the Here's Negan episode, which is potentially one of the biggest or most anticipated, right? So are they going to put that on Easter? I would think they might because people, I think, will be at home on Easter. You know, people are at home for Easter dinner, maybe if that's, if they do that or whatever, and then they're ready for some good TV later in the evening. So I'm just wondering if they'll put this, another show back to back with that um, and run, run it through because, you know, fear has its own viewers. People who are fans of walking dead are likely already fans of that. It's not like they have to attract new people to it, although I'm sure they would like to, but you know, that makes me think maybe they'll do it the following weekend, but I don't know, but either way it's spring and they said it's coming back spring 2021. So we're going to get the second half of the season of fear coming right around that time as well. Maybe the East, uh, the uh, the Negan episode is an Easter themed episode. Maybe it does a flashback of, uh, you know, Easter of Negan's past. It it could. I mean, the content is out there in the comic that was released. Um, off the top of my head, I can't remember if there's any Easter content in there, but that doesn't mean they haven't changed it a little bit either, right? So yeah, just set it. You know, put an egg in his hand and be done. <laughs> That's right. Here comes the Easter bunny. Oh, he killed it. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, Anyways, they also said The Walking Dead World Beyond Season 2 premieres in 2021. So we're going to get the second season of that, which we know is the 
only other season of that coming. Mm -hmm. And could that be in the summertime immediately following the last nine episodes of Fear the Walking Dead? So again, we have nine more weeks of fear, and then maybe we run right into season two of World Beyond. I don't know, but this is the kind of thing they might do just to keep us all watching. That sounds great, except that I'm skeptical about summertime ever happening. <laughs> ever happening, just in general? <laughs> so we might not get yeah. that. <laughs> we might not have a summer. I'm sure, actually, now that I think about it, uh, we'll have a summer. We just might not have another winter. It'll just be, you know, summer from here, here on in. Oh, okay. Maybe. Finally, at the end of this video, they said coming later this year. And here's some, actually, the most interesting part, I think. Coming later this year, The Walking Dead Season 11. So not a surprise there. We know that will start, I guess, fall of uh, 2021. Right. But also, Fear the Walking Dead Season 7. So to me, that feels early for Season 7 of Fear to come back, considering they're not going to finish Season 6 until sometime in the summer of this year. They're going to have Season 7 ready to go sometime in the fall. So does that mean they're going to overlap season seven of fear with season 11 of the walking dead i'd be surprised if they did that they or, wouldn't do that no or does it mean they're going to start fear season seven at the unusual like late november early december time frame when walking dead goes on mid-season hiatus and then they're going to run this through in that and really have walking dead content constantly all year round you know for the next little while i i don't know but we'll have to see that's my feeling is that they're, they're going to run it during, they'll start, I'll show an episode or two after the mid season finale of the walking dead. And then take a Christmas break and yeah, like maybe a shorter break and come back mid late January or something. Well, no, I think that the, it'll probably, uh, you know, they'll show a couple of episodes and then they'll come back with the walking dead. And as soon as that ends, they'll continue with fear of the walking dead. Right. But they have to do the half season. They've got to do eight episodes of, of fear. I would think. They don't have to do anything. They could do three episodes and then have a mid-season break and then do, uh, you know, five more. I suppose that would be a pretty drastic break from tradition, but you know what? Things are different now, so maybe you're right. Things are different. Anyhow, in, in, like, in any case, we're going to have tons of Walking Dead content basically starting in February, and it sounds like going for most of the year, so get ready for that, everybody. Yeah. Next up, uh, Lynn Collins, an actress, has been cast as a new character in Season 10, Episode 18, which sounds weird to say. Uh, the new character is called Lee. And see, Episode 18 is the Daryl and Carol episode that's upcoming. It's called Find Me. Uh, we don't know too much about it other than the uh, synopsis that is out there. But Lynn Collins, I don't know if you know her, she was on... Some TV shows like Bosch and Manhunt and True Blood. True Blood's the only one I've watched of, uh, of those. I haven't seen all of True Blood. I kind of, I think I haven't watched the last couple of seasons. Yeah, a lot of people fell off towards the end there. Um, I watched the whole thing, but I'll be honest with you, I don't know which one Lynn Collins is in that show. It's been a while. She was mm -hmm. also in X-Men Origins Wolverine, though and John Carter, and 13 Going on 30, and 50 First Dates. So there's some good movies in there, not all of them. <laughs> yeah, 50 First Dates, I may, I, I have seen. Uh, 13 Going on 30, I have seen that. Um, mm -hmm. 
that's with uh, Chandler and uh, what's his name? Anyway, uh, not a great movie, but an okay movie. I don't recall very much. It's a Freaky Friday kind of thing. Have you ever seen it? I've seen, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've seen uh, the Lindsay Lohan Freaky Friday. Yeah. Um, and Jamie Lee Curtis. It's not bad. Yep. I, I, I saw the original, uh, <laughs> this is a bit of an aside, but the original Freaky Friday with uh, Jodie Foster as the daughter I saw they they showed that in the gym at my grade school. <laughs> Movie day at school? Yeah, yeah, they piled the entire school into the gym and showed fucking Freaky Friday. I don't know why. I mean, whatever. Gee, someone needed some time off, I guess. I don't but know. The whole school? Yeah. Like why weird. the whole school? Somebody loved that movie so much that they're like, "Man, we're going to get the whole school involved in this. It's going to be great. It's going to be great." I'm sure it was fun too, wasn't it? It was fine. I don't really remember. I was just, you know, right. sitting on the floor watching a movie for some reason. Nice. All right. Well, the last time I sat on the floor and watched a movie is when you, me, and friend of the show, Dave, went to see Bubba Hotep in a, <sighs> in a, a bar. In a bar. Yeah. Good <laughs> but, times. But, good times. But that was when I didn't mind doing that sort of thing, and I really wanted to see Bubba Hotep and loved it at the time. So there you go. Yeah. No, I didn't. Uh, I don't recall it being terribly uncomfortable, but 90 minutes on the floor now would Drive me crazy. I mean, we might have to take you to the morgue after. <laughs> well, I don't know about the morgue, but I'm not sure I'd be able to get up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyways, Lynn Collins, she's joining the show for at least one episode. I assume only one. Um, I, I don't know much else about her involvement, but uh, this was announced kind of subtly when she appeared on one of those table read videos that AMC has been releasing. She just showed up and she's this new character and there she was. And oh yeah, by the way, everyone, Lynn Collins is coming to the episode, so... Cool. Uh, we look forward to that. One more item here. The Walking Dead World Beyond is coming to Shudder. So season one of World Beyond will debut on Shudder on January 21st, which is two days from now as we record this. And obviously this is not a day and time type deal. It's the same way that The Walking Dead shows up on Netflix, you know, months later. But if you didn't watch world beyond and you happen to be a shutter subscriber or would want to go for their free trial uh it would be a good way to watch world beyond if you want to get caught up on that so i assume season two will be on there as well and it's also the first of the walking dead shows to appear on shutter so they're branching out cool there you go all right, we're all caught up on The Walking Dead news for now. Let's move on into a little bit of listener feedback. Listener feedback. Okay, Jason, I got three items in listener feedback here, two calls and an email. Um, they are all a little bit old, but I have been hanging on to them for the right time. The first one here is a call from designer Will. It came to us back in the fall because he had some thoughts on the Walking Dead Deluxe comics. If you remember talking about those, um, he bought one and he wanted to tell us about it. So I'll let him do that, but uh, this is from Designer Will. Cool. What's up, Chris and Jason? Designer Will calling in with some thoughts on the Walking Dead Deluxe, the comic reissue. I think it was in the news a couple episodes ago. You guys were debating whether or not the re-release was just kind of a cash grab or, or whether it would actually be useful to uh, fans, I guess. Uh, so I came into The Walking Dead kind of uh, not a comic reader. Uh, I started watching, I think, around season two. And 
Um, really don't have any of the comics. Um, I just am, love the show and, and your podcast and stuff like that. So we were on a road trip the other day and stumbled into a comic shop, not a place you would normally find me. But the Walking Dead Deluxe issue one was on the shelf right in front of me, so I grabbed it. And uh, since reading it, um, it is in full color, as I think you guys mentioned, which is cool. And there's quite a bit of content in the back from Robert Kirkman, uh, pictures and outlines of his original notes, um, you know, why certain characters are named who they are, some Easter egg type stuff, uh, what changed, um, some of the differences between the show and the comic itself, and um, things like that. They're going to be doing some cool things with having some different artists uh, work on the series and uh, doing some cool stuff with different covers and things like that. So anyway, just to, to bring this all home, um, again, I don't have any of the compendiums. I've never read any of the novels, anything like that. Um, actually, the only one I have, the only comic I actually have is issue 193, the, the very last issue. And I only bought that um, because I, I saw it as kind of a collector item and I just, yeah, anyway. So my point is, um, I do think this re-release is going to get new readers to read the comic, uh, much like myself. So they do mention that they're not going to be collecting this deluxe series into any sort of, I think that means they're not going to combine it into any sort of compendium or anything like that. I don't know. Um, and they're going to be dripping these out week by week, which is cool. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to keep going issue by issue, probably just for the sake of money. I'll, I'll go with the, the large volumes they've already released in the black and white version. But I just wanted to chime in and say that I thought the extra content in the deluxe version is cool. I think it will get new readers, uh, people like myself who started with the show, to go back in and read the comics. And um, I'd say for anyone out there who hasn't picked one up yet or, or is wondering of thinking about it, I would recommend it. I think it's quite cool. Anyway, sorry it was a little bit long, but uh, just thought you guys might find that interesting. Cheers. No problem. Thank you, Will, for that report. So yeah, the, the, the deluxe editions, Jason, I don't have any of them. I wasn't planning on buying them. Uh, it feels like um, sort of rebuying the same thing, even to be fair, though, that it's in color and there's all this extra content. But uh, it sounds like, according to designer Will, that it's it's not bad, especially if you haven't been a comic buyer of The Walking Dead to begin with. But even if you have, maybe, maybe it's worth uh, picking up or checking a few out. Sounds like exactly what they want to happen. Draw <laughs> in new so. people and uh, cater to the super collectors. Yeah, I suppose. Why not? But uh, it was it was good to hear some thoughts on that because I'll be honest, I haven't even seen one in the store. I It's been a long time since I've been in my local comic book shop for obvious pandemic reasons, but also since The Walking Dead ended, I didn't have as much uh, motivation to go in there to pick up issues or anything like that. Um, but who knows, maybe I'll go and check out a deluxe edition if I can someday, someday later this year or next year or in 2045. Awesome. <laughs> like you said. <laughs> All right, here we have a call from Kate and this one is also a bit of a follow-up on her experience watching World Beyond. She, well, I played a call from Kate on episode 504 of the podcast and I guess, you know, we suggested she call back and follow up. And so she did. And here's Kate. Hi, Chris. Hi, Jason. This is Kate from San Francisco. How are you? 
I called a while back. I was really excited about the world beyond, and you suggested I call back letting you know what I thought at the end of the season. Well, I'll tell you what, the next episode I saw after I called all happy about it, I think it was a dud because I stopped watching for a while and kind of forgot it existed. And I was already reading because of Fear the Walking Dead made me not want to watch TV anymore. And so, yeah, I kind of gave up on the world beyond and I started reading. You asked what I was reading. I'm happy to tell you I started rereading Margaret York, um, this mystery author from Britain I really like. I particularly recommend A Small Deceit and Serious Intent. I also started reading A Horseman Riding By by R.F. Delderfield. They made a miniseries about it in the 1970s. It's like Downton Abbey if they took the tenant farmer's stories into account. And I wanted to give a shout out to Lonesome Dove and Watership Down, which are two of my favorite books. Anyway, eventually, yeah, I just started to watch. I started wanting to watch TV again. I guess I got sick of reading too. And I was like, oh, right, I can catch up on the world beyond. And it was fun to binge it. I was so behind. I just got to blow right through and I really enjoyed it. I, I like the characters. I like Huck. I like how they're teenagers. And so if they do something stupid, you can say, well, they're teenagers. I, I know that I would like that explanation for when people on the main show are stupid, that there would just be a really good explanation for that. Anyway, I am in for next season. I only thought at the end, I was thinking, boy, the whole uh, season didn't have to happen if they just asked Hope, hey, you know, we could really use your help with stuff. You're smart and your father needs help. I think she would have said yes, but then there wouldn't be a show. But she could have said no, and they could have gone through with the whole convoluted plan. So anyway, that was a little weird, but whatever. I'm fine with it. Anyway, uh, Happy New Year, and thanks for asking me to call back. It's really sweet. Bye. Thank you so much, Kate, for calling in. So she watched a little bit of World Beyond, fell off, read some books, came back, and then kind of enjoyed it. Yeah, that's, well, that's good. That that's is really good. nice. And I know, Jason, you always like book recommendations, so that's why I kept the the book uh, recos in there. I can I can send those to you later if you want, in case you didn't make any notes. Well, I, I looked up Margaret York, and I'm looking at the uh, the novels uh, now, and uh, except that the first Margaret York I looked up was the uh, the wife of a duke of some kind and from a long time ago. I'm oh, not sure. Different Margaret but, York. Yeah, well, that's what I assumed. So I typed in Margaret York uh, author, ah. and I found her Wikipedia page. So I'm I'm having a look at it now. Excellent. You're well on your way. Okay. Thank mm. you. Thank you so much, Kate, for that. Uh, here's an email from Scott on the internet. And again, I received this one way back in September, but it is definitely a follow-up for you, Mr. Miles. Um, Scott says, on the previous show, Jason was talking about loving audio drama and hoping it still existed as a thing. Jason, you'll be delighted to hear about Decoder Ring Theater, a terrific Canadian podcast in old-style radio show format. Their main threads are The Red Panda, Canada's greatest superhero, a figure clearly inspired by the shadow, and a hard-bitten but really kind of tongue-in-cheek noir series called Blackjack Justice. They've made occasional forays into other series as well, and they're always just fantastic. The show is one of my favorite things, and I hope it'll become one of yours too. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to check that out. Uh, 
but it's all for you, man. I'm looking at their website right now. I'm going to subscribe to a podcast and their newsletter if I can. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. Well, we're just loading you up with content here today. It's awesome. But that sounds pretty cool to me, too, this sort of old style radio stuff. And Dakota Ring Theater. I mean, what could be a better name than that? <laughs> really? Very cool. All right. Thanks, you guys. Um, if you want to, you know, write in or send some comments or feedback, you can do that by sending email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. All right, Jason, let's take a really quick break to thank some people. And when we come back, we are going to dive into The Stand from this year. Well, last year, 2020. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I'd just like to take a quick moment to thank uh, someone who has recently supported the podcast, and that is Jacqueline A., who sent a very generous donation via PayPal. Thank you so much, Jacqueline, for doing that. If you would like to help out with the cost that goes into producing this podcast, you can do that in one of two ways. Well, really one of three ways, sort of. But uh, the first way is PayPal, just like Jacqueline did. You can visit TalkingDeadPodcast.com slash PayPal to make a contribution, a one-time contribution, if you would like. You can also become a patron at Patreon.com slash TheTalkingDead which is more like a monthly pledge type system. And uh, you can join that there, patreon.com slash the talking dead. Thank you so much to Jacqueline for doing that and to everyone else who does as well. The third way you can help out doesn't cost you anything at all, but that is just going to Apple podcasts or other podcast platforms and leaving us a quick star rating or a review. That is a great way to get, you know, our notoriety out there a little bit or raise us in those ranks a bit so thank you so much to everyone who supports us in any of those ways Welcome back, everyone. Now we're going to talk about The Stand. So, Jason, The Stand. This is, of course, the 2020 remake or reboot of, of the TV version of this Stephen King novel. And I need to start by saying that you might be the expert this week on uh, this one. Yeah, well, that's an unfortunate... Yeah, out of the... <laughs> only by comparison, let's just say that. Sure. I have not read The Stand, the book. I have not even seen the previous adaptation. So my knowledge going in to this was extremely limited. And you are at least a little better off than I am, right? Well, I've, I've seen the original miniseries. I've read the novel. Well, I've listened to the novel on Audible. I own the novel. Uh, and I have listened to it. But I don't recall 
anything but the broad strokes. Right. Okay. So let's just say that. Okay. Well, it's more than I've got. I yeah. I had heard of it. <laughs> and That's I've good. probably seen the book jacket in a bookstore at some point in my life. Uh, but that, that was it. So we watched the first two episodes. I know there's four, maybe five out already now. Um, but, and I will reveal whether I'm going to watch any more of them in a second, but we're just going to talk about the first two today. And I got to start by saying that overall, I really like these, these two episodes of TV. So I'm definitely going to continue watching it now. I won't say that anything was really revolutionary or really surprised me in a great, a great way, but I thought we have decent characters, a good premise. I liked the flashback style of storytelling, but again, that's not really anything new. But I also thought it was like, I thought the show showed a trust in the audience to just kind of keep up with where you are in time and what's going on. They didn't spoon feed it to you too much, which is sometimes a problem with uh, shows like this, but they didn't do that. And I think they left it up to the audience to just, you know, stick with them and continue to figure out what's going on. So I really, really liked these two episodes. What did you think? I also liked them. I thought it was, uh, I agree with you that it definitely wasn't uh, spoon fed to us. They jumped around in time and they expected uh, us, the audience to keep up. And I, for one, thought I was able to. It's Seemed to make relative sense. They didn't go to sepia tones for the flashbacks and then the current, but you know, was it a flashback or is it a flash forward? But it turned out to be a flashback because uh-huh. the first episode was basically a whole bunch of crap. And then all of a sudden they're uh, someplace else. Everybody's someplace else and together and shit has changed. Yep. Right. And yep. sometimes, and a lot of time, a lot of it, not for the better for some people and for the better for other people. Uh-huh. So, uh, I thought that was, uh, I think it was, it was well done that way. And I really liked the ending of the second episode. I was a big fan. I don't know how much we're going to spoil, but the last 10 minutes of the second episode was by far my favorite. All right. Well, we'll get to that. We are definitely going to, to spoil it. Um, there's a lot more coming on this show that like, I don't know. Right. So, you know, it's not like we can spoil anything in the future, but we we will talk through these episodes. Now, having said how much I liked it, I also did have kind of a feeling at times while watching it, like, is this really the kind of content I need in my life right now? (laughs) You know, people dying of a virus and they've got, just they're just choking on their own like snot and it's just all over them it's super disgusting do i need to be reminded of the current you know apocalypse that we're living through in real life by watching it on tv and you know it's one thing with a zombie show because there are zombies i'm like okay at least there aren't zombies in real life yet but this was a virus and there is a virus in real life and it's killing people and just today the united states crossed four hundred thousand dead people from COVID-19. And I know the virus on the stand killed 99% of the world's population, which is 7 billion people, but still. Well, here's the thing. And I'm going to, this is the first time I've actually expressed this thought out loud. And this is a thought that I had last February, Uh late February, early March. Okay. So uh, COVID had 
was not named COVID-19 at the time. It was still the nouveau coronavirus. Uh, they didn't, they, they, you know, the COVID-19 hadn't been, you know, coined yet. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, there was, you know, it was starting to spread, uh, you know, cases here, cases there. There was like 20 cases in Canada kind of thing. And I was thinking, uh, okay, so this, uh, this is going to be good practice for us. And that was the thought that I had was that this virus, based on you know it's uh, it's incredibly infectious, and we actually have a more infectious uh, strain, uh, but the death rate is not ninety nine percent like it is in the stand. Uh, the death rate is lower, and any death rate is horrible, and it should be zero. But uh, my first my thought was, okay, we're going to get some practice in. We're going to get to, you know, this is what the, uh, the virus apocalypse and, you know, you, you and I have been dealing, not dealing, but, uh, watching TV about various viruses and apocalypses for quite some time now. We have. <laughs> and, and we know what TV thinks of how this, how that shit goes, but we're going to find out how reality goes in this. And we're going to get some valuable practice in for when the shit really hits the fan. So. Watching this, and there was hard to watch because it was a virus, and you know it was killing a lot of people, and the the death rate of infection was, uh, if you got infected, you died, and that mm-hmm. was basically you were either immune or you were dead. The the death rate is actually a hundred percent. It just didn't kill yes. everyone on the planet. Yeah, yeah. So the, the some people are immune, and the rest are dead, and. Uh, you know, these people, the depictions of the first couple of episodes where people are out in the world, they're talking to people, they're going to concerts, uh, you know, they hook up this, the musician hooks up with this lady. She's all super gross in the morning. Uh, and my first thought was that is so unrealistic now. Like, it's just, it's so outdated. Like that would not happen. If there is a virus that's killing people, people are going to stay the fuck home. They're not going to go out to a concert. Well, uh, I mean, uh, sensible people are anyways. Yeah. Yes. But in this reality of the stand, it was, you were either dead or you were just living life normal. And right. you got sick if you were not immune and you did not get sick if you were immune. There was no shit. I should stay home in case, you know, and try and protect myself from the people who are infected. Uh, it's just, you know, well, the infections out there and. It just, it would, it seemed a little chaotic and unrealistic to me, but that's okay because the stand as a novel and as a, uh, a piece of fiction, this is the way it goes, right? Right. Just everybody gets infected. Obviously the stand being a novel from, I'm not even sure when, the eighties? I think it was early. his third or fourth or fifth book, like early on in his career. And Stephen King has written a lot. So it was a while back. Yeah. Okay. So late seventies, early eighties then maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, he didn't have the COVID-19 at the time. No. Nope. Like, there was no COVID-19 to model things on. So I think that uh, uh, the model of how humanity is going to behave from this point forward is different than it, it has been depicted in the past. Oh, I think you're probably right about that. But, you know, despite, as I said, the difficulty in sort of processing some of this due to the real world, I really liked it and I really did enjoy it. So... Well, that's because we all try and assume that we're the ones that, we're one of the ones that are immune, right? We're 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 the, the main characters that we have are the immune characters, uh-huh. and therefore we can latch onto that, and we are part of the immune 
uh, you know, the small population that is immune in this story. In- Not that lady that hooks up with a musician and then wakes up the next day with all this snot and, you know, pass me a Kleenex and he says no. And she gets all friggin' uppity. Yeah. She's like, go, go get a goddamn Kleenex. And then you leave. Know, right? You're pretty snotty there, you know, go get some, you know, take care of yourself. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Gross um, lady. That's an interesting, um, cognitive bias. I, I feel like you, you mentioned there where you, you assume that you're going to be immune. Uh, as a viewer, right? And I mean, yeah, I guess you're right. We're, we have to follow the living people, not the dead people, at least yeah. on this show. Um, but, uh, you know, I wonder if that's a thing in real life too, where some people don't take these things as seriously as others because they have some sort of cognitive bias, like it won't hurt me. It can't affect me or something, you know, I'm stronger than this. And I'm sure there are a lot of factors that go into people feeling that way. Uh, like probably age and past experience and stuff like that. But it sounds like a thing that might be, again, a a real world thing that gets applied to TV shows in a weird way. Well, it absolutely is a cognitive bias that we have as humanity. We are uh, immensely able to deny our own mortality. Like there's, you know, people die. People have been dying for a very long time. Yeah. Everybody dies. Everybody knows that. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people know that. But somewhere deep down inside, you think, that's not going to happen to me. Yeah. Until it absolutely get... is, but I don't feel like it, you know, I don't feel like it's going to happen to me. I still remember the first moment in my life where I realized I was going to die. Was it before was, or after you had Jasper? Uh, long before. I was oh. about, I was in grade three, something like that. Okay. Where I was just thinking, you know, forward, you know, in the future and at some point and realizing, you know, everybody dies and shit, that includes me. Uh, when Jasper was born, uh, if I wanted to get, if I wanted to make myself cry, I could just think about he's going to die. And well, I don't yeah. know. Uh, so my own death, I can deal with my own mortality. I can deal with, but thinking about Jasper's mortality upsets me of course of course it, it happened to me too you know with with my own and with my kids so it's a thing that i think most parents experience when they first have children yeah. anyways back to this episode here so episode one is called the end and obviously that refers to the end of the world in a way right the end of humanity um this one focuses heavily on these two characters harold and franny it gives us most of their story. Basically, the idea is the two of them are the only two survivors left in their town. He's basically in love with her. Um, he's had a, It seems like he's had a crush on her for a long time. We find out that she was his former babysitter, even though she looks younger than him. It was kind of weird, but he was in love with his babysitter. And her parents die, of course. She buries them in the backyard. But then he shows up just at the right time. He prevents her from killing herself and convinces her to leave to find some other survivors. And they do. And they hit the road. Um, Harold, what do you think of Harold, Jason? He struck me as a bit of a sort of typically nerdy kind of dispassionate guy who saw all this coming. It's like the apocalypse had very little effect on him. And in a way, he kind of revels in it a bit. It's... It's a situation that's changed him. 
he has more kind of agency in his own life because he doesn't have bullies beating him up and knocking him off his bike that, that we saw in the episode, things like that. So, you know, it that felt a little bit cliche to me, but I also liked the character. At one point, he even says to himself that he can be a better person, a prince, now that, you know, there's no one to beat him down kind of thing. Yep. So I don't know. I just mentioned that because I feel like I've seen that before. Um, but at the same time, again, if Stephen King wrote this in the late 70s, maybe that kind of character trait wasn't as much a thing then. But I think it also worked in this episode, too, because he took control of his life. He saved Franny from herself, I guess. And then they they got on the road. But um, other than that, I thought I thought the characters on this show are, are really cool. Uh, I thought so, too. I thought they conveyed well that, uh, you know, he was this uh, beat down uh, you know, kid that um, was, you know, obsessed with his former babysitter. And, you know, former babysitters, uh, I think it, when I was younger, I'm not sure of the law now, but at now you can, you're legally allowed to babysit when you're 13. Uh, and if you're younger than 13, you, you can't be left alone kind of thing. That's the way it was when I was in school because I actually took a babysitting course at school, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about how to take care of kids. Uh, you know, and <laughs> there was a lot of practice on, uh, pinning diapers to kids so that you don't poke them with the pin and the pin doesn't come undone. Oh, uh, really not relevant experience nowadays. No, not so much. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> now it's either snaps or if you have, uh, you know, if you use the reusable diapers or it's kind of Velcro if you use disposables. Right. But, um, so there might be an age discrepancy between these two of a couple of years. Like it doesn't have to be somebody, uh, you know, like in Adventures in Babysitters, babysitting, uh, where she was nineteen, twenty, and the youngest kid was five or whatever it was. Yeah, it doesn't have to be that. It can be a fourteen-year-old and a twelve-year-old, and it, one is babysitting the other. It's very true. I mean, my thirteen, well, my fourteen-year-old daughter now just had her birthday a week ago today. That's why we didn't release this podcast a week ago. Actually, her birthday was last Tuesday. Um, nice. But you're right. She's taken the babysitting course. She's 14 and could easily look after like a 10, 11 year old or something like that. Right. So yeah, not, not that big a deal. Um, she took the course. I'd be interested to, uh, to know, uh, what kinds of things that they taught, uh, compared to what I learned when I was 13. Well, I can ask her. Yeah. I mean, it was like two years ago. She took the course. You're allowed to do that course before you're 13 years old. So, right. um, no, there was. There was somebody in my cl- class, my course, uh, at the school that I was going to, and guess what her name was? Elizabeth Shue. Uh, Robin Williams, actually. Oh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Funny. Yeah. All right. Well, um, you know, Franny is, is, is the girl, of course. Um, there was a scene where she's outside burying her dad, and when she comes back in the house, the first thing she does is takes her shoes off. And... I noticed this because it's the kind of thing that sometimes bothers me in movies and TV shows. Everybody wears shoes indoors. They can be doing and they can be sitting on their bed and they have shoes on on their bed. And I don't know if it's a Canadian thing. It is. People take their shoes off in Canada when they come in the house. They don't in the States. Well, they, it, in the States, it's a uh, house, it's, the difference is house by house. Uh, certain households are shoes off households. Uh-huh. Certain households are not. But as far as I know, in Canada, we're all shoes off households. I don't know of anybody, any household where I was 
ass to keep my shoes on because I would never do that. No. Walking into a house. No. So it stuck out to me in this episode that she, now she was only wearing Crocs, so they kicked off fast, but they came off. On a normal show, yeah. I feel like she just would have walked in. So <laughs> it's a thing. Anyways. It's a thing. Uh, so let's talk about Stu Redman. This is a character played by James Marsden, and he is another immune person. He was exposed mm-hmm. to the virus, but hasn't become infected. And he's been scooped up by the military. So he's being held in a military location to be studied, at least at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, by uh, an actor who I really like, and I think deserves bigger and better roles. Uh, he's, he's very much a that guy actor, but I remember him from, uh, the new adventures of old Christine. I don't know if you've ever watched that show with, uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus. I, uh, I know the show. I know her. Oh, sorry. I know her and I've heard of the show, but I don't think I've ever seen it. It also had, uh, the, the agent Carter from uh, the Marvel universe. Oh, right. Yeah. Not Carter. Um, agent Coulson, the, the guy Coulson. Yeah. Coulson. There you go. He was her ex-husband and he was hilarious. That guy also deserves like bigger and better roles. I was so upset. Uh, can I spoil Marvel movies? Like <laughs> the Avengers movie you, from way back when? You, you probably shouldn't. Okay. But anyway, it, uh, I was upset by his character's mm, <laughs> storyline death. <laughs> great thank you uh anyway uh because i like that actor so much so uh you know julia louise dreyfus great actress she, everything she touches turns to gold right every show she's in is absolutely fantastic she's amazing i i agree with that so and agent uh agent colson also fantastic and this guy was her brother uh he deserves more i want to see him in more things i was happy to see him Again, I was sorry to see him die. Okay, well, I don't right? know who this guy is. I didn't recognize him, but he's this doctor. He first speaks to Stu, played by James Marsden, if I didn't mention that, who I didn't know was in this show. So I was like, oh, look, big, big name actor. Look at him. Um, but he he basically comes in and explains what's going on to Stu, what they're trying to do. They're tracking the route of this guy who infected uh, who, or who he came in contact with, he explains that everybody who comes into contact gets infected. Seven billion, earlier in the episodes, we were told that seven billion people died. So we already sort of know what's going on, but he was a, the doctor, at least initially, was a bit of an exposition doctor just to sort of bring the audience up to speed. Um, but, all, but all really good, to be honest. Eventually, the facility they're in becomes compromised and they have to move him to another location. And here's the sort of second kind of cliche moment for me they load him into a military truck and they make him wear a black hood on the way so he doesn't see where they're going i'm like really why bother you know i don't know uh, yeah that seemed a little bit cliche it but did let me ask you aren't all doctors exposition doctors isn't that their job to like tell you what's going on in kind of plain terms without like drama you know, I suppose that's a really good point. When I go to the doctor, I'm like, doctor, this hurts. And then they explain I, to me why. Yeah. Just give me some exposition. I don't want a car chase. I don't want a love scene. I want some goddamn dialogue that tells me what's going on. I don't want a car chase doctor. I don't want a sex scene doctor. I don't want a, a skydiving doctor. I want the exposition doctor, please. Yeah. Yeah. I want the exposition doctor. Okay. So, but uh, yeah, the other guy, uh, a, bit, a little bit cliche, but. You know, again. With the hood, uh, I And I, I looked it up. It's 1978. 
October of 1978 is when the novel came out. Okay, excellent. Well, you were right. Late 70s. Yeah. Um, so so now we have three immune characters, uh, and, you know, we don't really know too much about what's going on, but, you know, they move Stu to this other place. Eventually things go bad, and he has to get out of this place. And in what's maybe my favorite part of this episode, he... Everyone, everyone's dead. The doctor is now dead. The other guy is dead. Um, but the military commander in this base is still alive. He kind of summons Stu up to him to, to have a chat with him before he lets him go, basically. And the military commander, played by J.K. Simmons. Now, there's an mm-hmm. actor I know. Yeah. And I love. And I was surprised to see him as well on this show. And I loved this scene between the two of them with J.K. Simmons kind of also expositioning us some information about what was happening. He told us things like, you know, our communication system fine is fine, but nobody has spoken back to us in two days. So I don't really know what's going on out there. The orders stopped coming in kind of thing. Yep. And then he kills himself and Stu is able to leave and kind of hit the road and where he's going and as soon as he gets outside he realizes the scale of of what's going on but uh what did you think of jk simmons in this scene well he's great at everything like i haven't seen a bad uh and i've purposefully avoided uh some performances of his uh like that movie where he's the drum teacher jason i can't you should watch that movie it i don't know i don't know if i can it's a 10 out of 10 like it's i don't so good you can't teach somebody by yelling at them I have a hard time and, uh, you know, being a drummer, I've, I've avoided that movie and I'm not sure I will ever watch that movie. I would like to, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. Sorry. So, but I've liked JK Simmons and absolutely everything I've ever seen him in. Uh, I liked him in this role. I like the fact that, uh, he didn't kill himself in front of James Marsden. I think that, uh, you know, waiting until he left the room was probably the, the nice thing to do. No, he killed himself in front of him. He pointed the gun at his own chest and pulled the trigger while James Marsden was standing there. We didn't hear the gunshot until later, didn't we? You hear, you, it's a montage of, of Marsden escaping the building, but when you hear the gunshot, you see him in the room turning his head and closing his eyes. Oh, that was rude. All right. <laughs> I kind of just avoided that. I guess I liked J.K. Simmons so much that I assumed his character was, uh, you know, polite in his uh, suicide. Anyway, but he also read uh, Yates, and I like Yates. Yeah. Uh, I, I started, I read a bunch of Yates because of uh, his poem Hyperion, and uh, there was a, no- a set of novels about, called Hyperion, mm-hmm. and the last word uh, that Yates ever wrote before he died, was he, he was writing the poem Hyperion, and the last word was celestial, and nobody knows what he was going for or what he was going to do with that. Oh, that must be so frustrating for some people. <laughs> yeah. And I like Keats too. Right. And, and uh, E.E. E. Cummings, three favorite poets. Okay. Well, I, I really enjoyed the scene. I thought J.K. Simmons was amazing. Um, it struck me that, it struck me as odd that he pointed the gun at his chest to kill himself and not his head. Movies and TV, has, if they've taught me one thing, it's that people kill themselves by pointing guns at their heads, not their chest. But is there something I don't know about doing that kind of thing, Jason, that makes pointing it at your heart a better idea? Uh, people uh, that put their guns in their mouths 
a lot of times miss. Oh God, that sounds worse. <laughs> they, you know, it goes in and it kind of goes sideways and you blow your cheek out and it misses your brain altogether. But pointing it right in the middle of your chest, even if you don't hit your heart, that sucker's ripping apart lungs. It's going to do damage to the, uh, you know, major arteries in there. There's all kinds of, I think that's, it's more of a sure shot than, uh, depending. Like if you really want to, you just put it to your temple. And even if you point it at your temple, a lot of people will point it out and blow out an eye kind of thing. Is this too graphic? It's too graphic. Maybe a little. <laughs> uh, so I think being a military man, he kind of knows that a, uh, you know, you aim for the center of mass. Yeah. Right. You, you know, if you're a sniper, you go for a headshot, but that's not always guaranteed. You, you aim for the center of mass, you're more likely to, uh, to, make a one shot, one kill kind of thing. And if you're trying to commit suicide with a gun, one shot, one kill is uh, usually the way to go. All right. Well, let's keep this in the world of TV. Yeah. Cause if you, you know, rarely do you get a second chance. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I really liked it. Um, and just before we move on, the drum movie is called whiplash in case yeah, yeah. anyone is wondering, and there's so much more to it than just yelling. I'm telling you, Jason, it is, it is an in, incredible movie even for a drummer uh, you have to watch it, it i'm i'm upset that you're you don't want to okay it's the same reason that i'm not a big fan of rush and i'm sorry i know he died recently the uh neil pert peart uh and i'm not a big fan i'm, I'm not you know he's uh, he's supposed to be a drummer's drummer but uh, for me it's just it's it's too much it's uh it's musical masturbation <laughs> and <laughs> And so I'm afraid. I'm afraid of this. So I stay away from it. I'm afraid of other movies too. There's other movies I won't see. Like, because, well, for various reasons, but uh, a lot of them are... Hard to express, it sounds like. It's it's hard to express, but this one is one of the ones, it's kind of hard to express, but uh, from the trailer and the information I've seen, and uh, albeit that's limited, uh, it's basically... Uh, you're trying to get a drummer to be better by yelling at him and that does, doesn't work. Right. right? But, but why don't you watch the movie and find out what does happen or what does work? Like, oh, anyways, we got to move on, but it's so good. It's so good. I don't know. Um. Yeah. All right. Well, what we get from sort of the present day in the stand is, you know, Harold working in this mass grave body crew where they're basically just dumping bodies into giant graves. We find out that Stu and Franny are now a couple and expecting a baby, which is uh-huh. weird. I mean, that seems to be a a, a change, <laughs> considering uh, Harold and Franny were traveling together. And we find out that Harold is not sort of all right there mentally. He is upset. He might even want to kill Stu and Franny over their relationship. Yeah, I thought they did a really good job of portraying him as a bundle of anger and resentment. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was uh, that was really well done. And I like that. Yeah, and again, not knowing where this is going, I'm I'm sort of curious to see how that plays out because does that mean Harold becomes like the villain of the show? I don't know. I'm I'm not sure how big or how local we keep this, right? If we have a a villain just living down the street or there's some bigger threat, I don't know. Other than the well, virus, of course. Yeah, and I and like I said earlier, uh, mostly what I remember from the stand is the broad strokes. Yeah. So, and I'm not going to paint any broad stroke pictures for you, okay? Because that might spoil things. Sure, so we'll just keep keep it. I'll just keep it to myself. Very good. The other thing we haven't mentioned here is that all of these survivors are having these dreams, 
the ones we've seen so far anyways. So Franny sees Whoopi Goldberg in her dream after running through a cornfield. And we find out that Whoopi Goldberg plays a character named Abigail Fremantle. And she has been sort of summoning these people to this town in Colorado, Boulder, Colorado. Uh, Stu and Harold have dreams too, but they see a red-eyed wolf in their dreams. I don't think, I don't think either of them saw Abigail, but it's implied that she calls them as well. Um, and Harold actually sees this other character too, played by Alexander Skarsgård. He's known by a few names in this show, I think, the Dark Man, or he introduces himself in episode two as Randall Flagg. Um, but we'll talk about him in a minute. But I think the fact that all these people are having these dreams, I have a lot of sort of questions about this too, which you can't answer, but I look forward to getting some answers through the show from about just what's the deal with Whoopi Goldberg's character. Why are people well, dreaming about her and why is she bringing them together in this place other than to congregate survivors? Well, think of it this way. If you were going to have a vision of walking through a cornfield and meeting somebody, wouldn't you want it to be Whoopi Goldberg? I think if that's what I would want. I could think of worse people. Yeah. I think Whoopi Goldberg would be fantastic to a uh, person to know. I would like to uh, invite her over for dinner sometime. Fair I enough. I hope that's too much. That's too much pressure. I'd like to go to dinner with her somewhere where a professional could prepare food. <laughs> Every time I prepare food for somebody, uh, it gets fucked up. Do you remember the first time you came over to my house when Jenny and I bought the house and we made chicken and it took like four fucking hours because the, uh, the oven broke and we ended up having to get a new oven. Was it, were, were all of us there or just me? No, it was you and Christina and, uh, it was after we were, yeah. And your two kids. Yeah. Okay. They were both here, but, uh, yeah, it took forever because the oven broke. We ended up getting, you know, new oven, new stove, the whole shooting match. <laughs> but, uh, every, and then, a while later, we invited Jen's dad over and I tried to make a ham and it took friggin' for everything takes so long. I'm not making food for anybody, <laughs> especially Whoopi Goldberg. I would buy her dinner <laughs> at a four star restaurant and I would sit down and have a conversation with her. That's what I would like. Well, there you go. Then all you have to do is prepare the conversation, not the food. Yeah. I just, you know, you know, eat good food, talk to Whoopi Goldberg. That's it. Sounds like fun. It does. Well, I'm looking forward to figuring out what the deal is with her. Um, but let's sort of move into episode two here. Now it's called Pocket Savior. And this one is similar structure. It's, you know, tells the story through flashbacks. Um, more notable names are added to the cast in this episode, including Heather Graham and Amber Heard. A couple of uh -huh. pretty big names there. And when that started happening, I started thinking to myself, the cast of this show is getting pretty famous. I didn't expect all these, these big names for some reason, because I didn't look this up before I started watching nothing. And I also started thinking, well, JK Simmons died. Uh, Heather Graham eventually dies at the end of this one too. And I'm like, are they just throwing in these big name cameos to kill them off? And if every, every episode is going to have a new famous person that I recognize, and they're going to die by the end. I hope that's not the case. Um, but I can say that Amber Heard is still alive at the end. So that's a good sign. Uh, yeah, that, that is a good sign. I, well, I, you know, as soon as, uh, uh as soon as Heather Graham showed up, I knew she, uh, actually, I thought she was going to be Randall Flagg, oddly enough. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I kind of thought that she was going to be, you know, a manifestation of it, Randall Flagg. Got I don't it. know if she was going to 
you know, be the Randall Flagg character. Because uh, I didn't know Alexander Skarsgård was in this uh, until, actually, <laughs> oddly enough, I watched both episodes except for the last 10 minutes of the second episode. And then you mentioned that, uh, I think you asked me a question about Alexander Skarsgård's, Skarsgård's character. Yeah. And I was thinking, oh, he's in that. Right, okay, so he's playing Randall Flagg. And then I, you know, went back to the episode and I pressed play. And then like four seconds later, Alexander Skarsgård showed up on the screen. So I you mean, kind of spoiled it. You had four seconds ahead of what I was watching. Okay, well, I'm sorry about that. But he was also in the final shot of the first episode. Uh, yes. Right? right I'm, I'm, I th- didn't they... Did they show him him, or is it just kind of an image that could have been him? Well, no, they showed him, but I wouldn't blame you for not recognizing him because I didn't recognize him until my wife, who recognizes everybody, said, hey, that's Alexander Skarsgård, because he was a hitchhiker in the final shot of that first episode, and the guy in the car drives past him, and then you see him in the backseat in the rearview mirror. So he goes from the road to the backseat. Okay, I remember seeing that, but I didn't uh, didn't register who yeah. that was. Yeah, so... As, uh, the, who the actor was. That's the thing. You might not, and I didn't either, to be honest, and, at that point, but he's there. Um, but again, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about Randall in, in a minute, because there's a lot to unpack there, but... So this episode... You know, it follows this guy, primarily Larry Underwood. He is, well, we find at the beginning that he's sort of leading a convoy of cars to the Whoopi's place in Boulder, Colorado. We find out he followed Harold's signs there. But most of the episode is five months earlier, right at the beginning of the, the virus, where he's this musician. He's at his last show. We find out he has a drug problem. And he runs into Rita, played by Heather Graham, once you know a lot of people are dead already. And they decide to flee the city together. And it's kind of their story of, of getting out of the city a little bit um, and what happens to them in those those first early days. But the scene where they meet, I think it's in Central Park in New York City, and she's just kind of sitting there on a bench. He comes up to her. They talk. They're friendly. There's no immediate distrust or tension between the two of them. And they just kind of bond right off the bat. And again, I thought this was a bit, you know, anti-cliche for a end of the world story where most of the time people encounter each other and they're ready to kill each other from you know, day one, these two are very friendly. And I thought that was unusual and I really liked it. It was a refreshing change of pace for two new characters coming together in the apocalypse. Right. Right. That was, yeah, that was good now that you mentioned it. But let me ask you a question about the uh, the musician factor. So there was one scene where the musician was on stage to a smattering of, uh, you know, an audience. Yep. Now, the question I have for you, Chris, was, uh, is, was that the Opera House or Lee's Palace? Well, was this shot in Toronto? I think it was shot in Vancouver. So I don't know, but it sure looked reminded. I thought I'm like, holy shit, that's the Opera House. But then I thought, yeah, maybe it's Lee's Palace. You I, know, you've played Lee's Palace. I have not. I've never played Lee's Palace. Interesting. I have played at Lee's Palace many, many years ago. I've also played at the Opera House too. Um, yeah. Back in our days of bands. Um, no, I. Honestly, I don't think it was either, but Lee's Palace is also very, very different now. It was completely renovated. Uh, was it? And okay. changed up, yeah. So I remember being afraid to touch things when I went in there. Oh, like, gross. Uh, gross place, man. <laughs> or uh, the upstairs. What was it? The dance cave? That's right. Uh, that place was slimy. I was afraid to sit down in that place. 
God. Well, there's probably some stories, you know, from the, the that era of our lives, but uh, those are for a different time. Um, yeah, he was in there though. Like you're right, smattering of an audience releasing an album. I think it was his album release show. It seemed I like think so. And then his buddy, who is, I think they said former roommate, but also clearly drug dealer, comes up and ex- accuses him of a bunch of things. So it sets up his his drug problem there. Um, but ultimately, yeah, as I said, he meets up with Heather Graham, they decide to flee the city and they, uh, they do this by leaving her apartment and some guys, uh, threaten them in a way and they end up trying to flee in the sewers. And I felt like the episode spent a little too long in the sewers, to be honest with you. Now she doesn't stay in there the whole time, but it, to me felt like that could have been shortened significantly. The time Larry spends in the sewers trying to get away and having visions and dealing with rats and stuff like that. I started to get a little tired with that. That's the only thing I can sort of bad thing I can say about this one. But other than that, like it's their story of escaping the city and it all worked pretty well for me. Right. But uh, so Heather Graham leaves the sewer and then he goes, has to go through the sewers and has visions of rats gnawing on him and then jumps out of the sewer and there's no rats on him, right? So he, it's all something that, uh, it's just a, you know, a, a fear that didn't actually happen well, it's, to him. Apparently it's Randall Flagg tormenting him. So it's Skarsgård's yes. character, right? He, he, he creates the vision of his dead mother floating in the sewers, right? Talking to yep. him and, uh, the, the crows attacking him down there. Like, why would there be birds in there? There, there wouldn't. And I think you hear Randall's voice. So. Well, yes. But my question is when he gets out, uh, Heather Graham is there, right? She why is. is she there? Well. Why, how did she get there? She just, she, she, she has an excuse. And this is why I was thinking maybe she's Randall Fleck. Right. Yeah. That's actually a good point. Again, I don't know enough about him to understand well, kinda, he know he has enough power to uh you know conjure visions of his dead mother floating in the uh in the sewer and a bunch of rats gnawing on him so fair. why can't he alter his appearance to be a pretty lady that maybe he wants to be friendly with yeah you're totally right they explained it by by uh larry talking about going north and then she couldn't handle the sewers so she gets out and when they meet up again she says well i went north and so i guess they both did Okay, if you're in New York and I'm in New York and you're at Central Park and uh, I'm not at Central Park and you say, we need to get out of the city, let's go north. What the fuck are the odds that we end up at the exact same sewer entrance that you <laughs> pop out of? Yeah, fair. It's pretty pretty <laughs> un- unlikely. Yeah. You know. So, uh, so I, I'm a, and they never showed her actually die. Did they show her actually die? They just said that she, you know, we, I, I had a companion on the road for a while. It didn't work out. Yeah. But I, her final scene, which I actually really, really liked too, was they were, they were, you know, in a, well, taking cover from the rain under a bridge, he goes to bed in a tent and then she just kind of stands there staring like rain pouring down in front of her, staring off into this black void of like nothingness. And she starts taking pills, uh, to, uh to overdose. So she's dead. I'm pretty sure. And I liked, (laughs) I liked the way it was portrayed. If I can say that about someone killing themselves in this case. I think it's a little hinky and I think she's going to show up again. Let's just say that. 
Okay, I suppose it's possible, but I don't know. I, I'm not... And I'm, to be fair, I don't remember any specific characters in this, uh, other than Randall Flagg. I don't remember any specific characters from the novel. I remember specific actors in the original miniseries. I remember Gary Sinise. I remember the uh, the other coach from Coach. Uh, I don't know if you remember Coach. <laughs> I do, sort Show of. Coach. There was, the other, there was another coach, big guy. Uh, he was in the original one, and he said he kept saying M O O N. Okay, uh, that spells whatever. And uh, and there was another woman in there that ended up being one of the. Uh, uh, she was in the Saw movies, right? I don't know what okay, to tell you. Uh, those are the, I only remember actors. I don't remember characters. So if Elizabeth Shue's character, not Elizabeth Shue. Heather Graham's character. I got Elizabeth Shue on the brain today for some reason. I mentioned her earlier. Adventures in Babysitting. No, but I had mentioned her from Adventures in Babysitting yeah. before that, so I think maybe I started it, and I apologize. Uh, Never apologize Elizabeth. for bringing up Elizabeth Shue. I'm in love with her. <laughs> All right, Elizabeth Banks. No, that's not no. right either. We're talking about Heather Graham. Uh, so Heather Graham, I don't remember if her character was in the novel and in the story. I don't remember it. Okay. So that's what I say. I think she's going to show up later. It's just pure conjecture. Sure. It's not based on any information I may or may not have. Fair enough. Well, I, I think she's dead and I, I appreciated the way they, they portrayed that scene. I did think though, the scene that forces them into the sewer where the dude runs up behind them with a suitcase full of money and he, he offers, uh, he offers Larry a million dollars for 15 minutes with, with her. Yeah. And I'm like, what are we like one day into the apocalypse and we already have like sexual predators running around with, with suitcases full of money trying to offer, trying to buy women? Like what the fuck this, how fast would that happen? And would it happen at all? What's wrong with people? I don't know. Maybe he was, uh, maybe he found the money and he's all excited and he wants to spend it on something and he decides to try and buy a woman's time from a guy. Like it doesn't make any sense. No, it seemed weird. It, it stretched credibility or for me a little maybe bit. maybe he was just buying time for his buddies to show up. Maybe he was way out ahead and he just needed to have some cockamamie story in order to make them stop for 30 seconds until his buddies showed up. But I'm not wrong in thinking what their intentions were with her, right? Well, no, absolutely not. Okay. But, you know, the whole trying to bargain for, uh, you know, m- useless money to buy a woman for from a guy for 15 minutes, uh, that whole thing may have just been a ruse to kill time. Okay, maybe. I just thought the whole thing was weird considering it was like immediately after the the virus struck and- Well, he- it wasn't, you know, it's not, it's, you know, the virus didn't strike uh, within 15 seconds. Well, I like, know It that. wasn't 15 seconds later. It's been a number of days and weeks or, that this was happening, right? So maybe he realizes he's immune and he can do whatever the hell he wants. Maybe he's already come to that conclusion, man. Mm. Like, look, there's no cops anymore. There's no nothing, right? I can take this money. Nobody gives a shit. Uh, I can do whatever I want. And that includes, uh, you know, going after people and uh, extracting what I want from these people without any consequences. Yeah. Me and my buddies are going to do that. I guess. Freaking horrible people, I'm telling you. Um, so let's talk about Lloyd. Lloyd is the other character that we follow in this episode. He is a prisoner. He's stuck in jail during this outbreak. And ultimately, he's locked in there and nobody's left to let him out. So he has to- I love to, Lloyd. <laughs> Lloyd's the best. Good old Lloyd. He has to resort to eating- 
part of his, well, eating rats and eating part of his cellmate to stay alive, yep. who is dead from the virus. Uh, they also show the crime that he was involved in, which was like a gas station stick up that ended badly. It felt a little unnecessarily gruesome to me, considering what we've seen of people dying of this virus. But then the whole show is pretty gross. So uh, what are you going to do? Um, we had to establish Lloyd. I mean, right? we need, yeah. he is, he's obviously going to follow Randall Flagg, mm -hmm. uh, but we had to establish his character as, you know, this guy who is, you know, really doesn't give a shit about anybody, even before this, the shit hit the fan. He just, you know, he's going to do what he wants to do in order to get what he wants to get. Now he's stuck in this untenable situation. He gets released by this guy. He's like, dude, I'm yours. You know, you yeah. buy me a, you get me a roast beef sandwich, which sounded delicious by the way. Uh-huh. Uh, I <laughs> it was, sure did. Uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to go get something to eat now. Yeah, really? You know, this guy is, you know, they're sitting at a cell where this guy is, uh, you know, gnawing on rats and the leg of his cellmate. And, uh, you know, Alexander Skarsgård is describing, you know, a roast beef sandwich with uh, French fries. And I'm like, fuck, I need to go to a restaurant. <laughs> it's been so long since I've been to a restaurant. It's been a year, basically, you know, almost. Yeah, <laughs> pretty close. Yeah. Well, Lloyd, I mean, they, I think it's interesting you mentioned we had to establish who he was. The thing is, he was reluctant to kill the guy in the gas station. He didn't want to do it. Which, you know, his partner was not against killing everybody in there, it seemed like. But the thing about Lloyd is he's in a desperate situation, which means he will say or do anything to get out of that cell, including dedicate himself to Mr. Flag with two G's, um, which is obviously important, you know, not knowing really what the deal with Randall Flag is. I can clearly see that that's important. He's kind of being able to manipulate this guy into being a, an agent for him, for lack of a better term. Yeah. I, I, okay. So it wasn't that he had uh, complete depravity or complete disregard for human life. It's that he easily gets into situations where he's way over his head. Right. That makes sense. Uh, and so now he's in a situation while well, he got, he got arrested and he was in a, you know, locked in a cell and the guard wouldn't let him out because he killed a cop or his buddy killed a cop. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, and then <laughs> threw some pus at him from the dead guy that he was gurneying out. Well, yeah, that he was, was he, that was gross. Lloyd said he was framed as a cop killer. So he didn't actually pull the trigger and kill the cop, but his buddy did, his buddy did but I think he got convicted for it anyways. Well, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. You could be sitting in the car, your buddy kills somebody, you're guilty of murder. That's true. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, Anyway, I think it, that whole scene, that whole situation kind of, uh, we, first of all, we had to lead to him being in prison. Mm -hmm. So be, because you understand the desperation of somebody who's locked in a prison cell, everybody's fucking dead and you're immune, but you're still stuck in a prison cell. And, you know, generally speaking, it's hard to get out of a prison cell by yourself. It's kind of the idea. Yeah. So Randall Flagg shows up, talks about a roast beef sandwich, and then, uh... And I was like, oh, sorry, am I torturing you by describing this roast beef sandwich? <laughs> yeah. So then Randall lets him out and, um, you know, what's the deal with Randall Flagg, Jason? I, I don't want to talk too much about him because I personally am really looking forward to slowly learning about him on this show and, and what he's doing and what he means and who he is. But uh, 
and, and kind of seeing how he affects the, the uh, way this story plays out. But, you know, from what I know, this character is not just in this Stephen King novel, but in, in others as well, to varying degrees. Sometimes he's the main character. Sometimes he's a really side character off, you know, to the edges. But is there anything you can add, you being the more Stephen Kingy of the two of us, is there anything you can add that won't kind of ruin the experience watching this show, but provide some insight into who he is? I have three levels of information and I'm not sure. And we have to talk about what level you, we want to talk about here. So the first level is, I don't want to spoil it for you. I don't want to spoil it for anybody out there who may get into Stephen King uh, and have, hasn't read a lot of Stephen King. The second level is, uh, I, I'm willing to spoil it for you, but not the listeners. And the third level is, I don't want to spoil or. I will spoil it for everybody. Well, I don't think we should spoil it for everybody. In fact, I don't think we should spoil it for anyone. So I don't know if there's a level that you can talk really about this guy, but uh, maybe that's all that needs to be said. He's a Stephen King universe character. Well, okay. The, the lowest level I can give you is that Stephen King writes three kinds of novels. Uh, okay. Uh, the one kind of novel is uh, uh, inherent evil in the universe. There's, uh, there's evil out there and it bleeds into our reality and it causes fucked up shit. Is that what it would be? That's, that's it. There's a bunch of other novels where that kind of thing, uh, gets in. I, I, and sometimes those, uh, that inherent evil manifests as a character. Got it. Uh, in this case, it's Randall Fleck. Okay. The other kind of novel is aliens. Aliens do something. Right. Thinking Tommyknockers, uh, uh-huh. you know, thinking uh, The Dome. Uh, I'm not sure how much, I've never, I've watched sort of the first season of The Dome TV show, but I've read the novel. Uh, and it's basically aliens. Alien babies going, uh, you know, you know how uh, kids, toddlers, whatever, young kids torture ants. Yeah. Some alien toddlers are torturing humans by sticking a dome over a town. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> Sorry, it's kind of a crappy novel. It's kind of a crappy show. I'm not afraid to spoil it. Tommy Knockers, I absolutely hated. Uh, I despise that. Okay. And the uh, the third type of novel that uh, Stephen King's write Stephen King writes is The Stand. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> and so then that's it. And The Stand kind of bleeds into uh, the first kind. Got it. All right. Well, I mean, yeah, I. I think, I mean, I do think that final 10 minutes of Randall Flagg talking to Lloyd in, you know, through the jail cell barred door was some really good stuff. I mean, Alexander Skarsgård is fantastic. The guy who plays Lloyd, I don't know who he is, but he was especially good at portraying the suffering of being stuck in there and having nothing to eat and no way to get out. And it was, it was a fantastic scene of, uh, Randall Flagg just manipulating him and like you said talking about the sandwich and showing him the key and how it just appears in his hand right and has his initials on it which were i thought were was fun um and just tormenting this dude it was some really really good stuff so i am excited i'm i'm wondering how or if randall flag connects into Whoopi goldberg's character mother abigail as they're calling her you know, he's appeared in the dreams that the people are having too. 
you know, what's the deal with the wolf, those little glowing tokens that he seems to be given to people. Like there's a lot of questions there for me that I don't know the answers to, but the show has hooked me into wanting to find out more. So good on you show and good on you, Alexander Skarsgård for being an awesome Randall flag, at least from my perspective. Uh, I, I'm, I'm excited to see him in this show and I liked Alexander Skarsgård. He was one of the best things about, um, true blood uh-huh. in my opinion. Yep. Uh, you know, at the beginning, I, I liked the show. I thought, you know, I thought it was great. Uh, I thought that Australian actor, Jason Stackhouse. Yeah. I thought he was, uh, I thought he was really great. Uh, but Alexander Skarsgård, for me, was the pinnacle of that particular show. Sure. And just as an actor, I think he's fantastic. And I'm excited to find, to to watch the things that he's going to make in 20 years. In 20 years, when he's like, he's over 40 now. Right? Sure. He's, he, uh, he was born in 76, so uh, he's about our age, right? But, you know, that's where the comparison ends. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I know. I mean, the first thing Christina said to me watching this is like, I wonder if he's going to take his shirt off as much as he did in True Blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so Funny she never asks me about that. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. Weird. Yeah. So in 20 years, you know, he's going to be in his 60s. Uh, and the, the shit that he's going to do is going to be phenomenal. Like, it's going to be amazing. He's going to get, he's just getting, he's the kind of guy that just gets better with age. His father, Stellan stars, Skarsgård is great too. His dad was Stellan, right? Uh, well, the Skarsgård, I don't know. There's loads of them. There's, there's loads of them and I haven't seen one I haven't liked. Well, there you go. All right. Well, I look forward to figuring out what the deal with him is. Um, But yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. I mean, I guess we get a little bit more glimpse into what's going on in Boulder. Like there's a bunch of people there now. People are living in houses. It seems pretty comfortable. Um, And Stu is essentially running the place, uh, James Marston. Um, That's going to obviously play out a little bit more. And I got to assume that Randall Flagg and Lloyd are going to show up there at some point and mix things up a bit, but I really don't know. I really don't know exactly where it's going. So I think it's a good show, two good episodes. I look forward to seeing more. As am I. All right. Cool. Well, that is going to do it for this podcast, everybody. Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in. We won't be back next week because last week was my daughter's birthday. Next Tuesday is my birthday. So. Oh, that's right. Your birthday's coming up. Coming up one week from tonight. Uh, it's uh, we're not doing anything, of course. Not like we can go out and have a nice dinner or whatever. But we'll probably order some food and have an evening. So I won't uh, be ready to podcast at that time. Um, the other thing we're doing is we just started a family rewatch of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in chronological order, not movie release order. We're two movies in. I'm really enjoying this so far. It's it's fun to watch these movies in the order that the events depicted happen um so that's a good that's a good choice i did the before um uh, the avengers endgame yeah the, the one uh i watched i went back and started at the beginning in release order and i watched them in release order all the way to uh to that but in chronological order will be the next one yeah yeah absolutely and and i mentioned that because we'll probably be doing that a lot and over the next couple of weeks as we go through all 20 some odd movies, uh, including sort of next 
week of my birthday. But after that, maybe the week after that, we are going to be back with a podcast content to be determined a little bit. But I think we might have a special guest coming on, someone who has never been on the show before. And uh, they're not famous, but they are special. So uh, look forward to that coming up. I don't know, man. Have I explained to you my concept of fame? (laughs) I don't know. Have you? Um, Maybe. I don't think so. But here it is in a nutshell. If I know who you are, you're famous. All right. Well, it's it's that simple. It, it's been a while, but you've met this person before, I think, yes, in real life. I have. So, oh, yeah, many times. Uh, it, it, I, I mean, it's no secret. It's an old friend of mine, and he proposed a topic about uh, Walking Dead related. And uh, I said, why don't we come on and talk about it? So we're going to set that up. It will be coming in a couple of weeks from now, sometime in early February is we're gonna, when we're going to get that done. And it's going to revolve around the concept of people becoming villains in the zombie apocalypse would people actually become as terrible as they seem or they seem to on you know zombie movies and tv shows or would humanity actually you know those of us that were left come together and bond a little bit kind of in the same way that uh larry and rita did on on the stand which is why i thought that was so refreshing so we're going to talk about that and that'll be in a couple of weeks on the show. Cool. Until then, though, if you would like to get in touch with us, by all means, visit our website at talkingdeadpodcast.com. Click on send voicemail at the top. You can record a message right into your computer. That will come straight to me. And I love receiving those and I love re- uh, playing them on the show, too. So make sure you do that. There's uh, a step involved in there. Like just recording something on their computer will not go straight to you. Like you don't have. Uh, you know, access to everybody's computer, right? So there's a step where you need to record it and then send it. No, you actually, the sending is is done for you. It's a, it's a widget on the site where, I mean, I appreciate the fact that you've been to the website once, once in like the last 10 years, Jason, but it's a widget. Yeah. You start recording, you record right into the web and it comes to me. You don't have to do anything else. It's beautiful. That's fucking magic. That's, <laughs> that's not a real thing. Any sufficiently advanced technology should be indistinguishable from magic. Arthur C. Clarke. Thank you. <laughs> to you and to Arthur C. Clarke. You can do that. It's an easy way to do it. Um, you can also use your phone. In that case, you probably have to send it to me manually via email, and you can do that by hitting talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook uh, where I post all the episodes and occasionally news that's facebook.com slash the talking dead if you're still using facebook i don't know a lot of people i know aren't anymore but maybe we're getting old or i don't know what it is facebook's had well, some what about your lately. kids your kids use facebook nope i mean partly because they're not allowed uh but also because facebook is just not a thing amongst teenagers they're all instagram and whatever else thank god yep so anyways, we're still, us old guys are on Facebook, facebook.com slash the talking dead. All right. That is all for tonight, everyone. Tune in in a couple of weeks with another new episode of the podcast. But until then, my name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.